podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Wow, that was some World Cup final. Now, focus turns to Manchester United against Burnley. What a peculiar world we live in. A very warm welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's good to be back with you after a short break. Although, I'm afraid this week is just me. Harry Robinson, my co-host Jack Tate, can't record this week due to some personal reasons, but should be back with us all soon enough. Nevertheless, there is so much to talk about, and so I will. The World Cup, Messi, Martinez, the other Martinez and the other Martinez, Mbappe, Varane, United, Burnley, Garnacho, Sancho, Kobe Mainu, the FA Youth Cup, De Gea, the Papa John's Trophy, United Women third in the league, the Conti Cup. There is absolutely loads. Let's get stuck in fairly quickly. But as we head into the second half of the season, I'd like to thank some of our patrons for their support. So thank you to Tony, Josh, Ethan, Malcolm, Steve, Dio, David, Havard, Steve, Don, Damien, Christopher, Anthony, Adam, Marek, Arman, Michael, Reed, Craig, Simen, Mod, and Ted. If you want to become a patron, you can. For as little as 40p a week, you get bonus Q&As at the end of most shows you get ad free episodes you get early release episodes go to our twitter at utd weekly pod pod at the end there to find out more and on with the show just the most incredible game of football I think I've ever seen. It had absolutely everything at the absolute pinnacle of the international game. Getting to enjoy an Argentina side purring with confidence, scything fronts apart, best demonstrated by that second goal. Every touch, run, pass, just absolute perfection and all in a flash. A slightly dreary 20 minutes all right in the second half, but that only made the explosion of late action even better that's what we were yearning for and of course it was Kylian Mbappe who brought it on he is that guy he might be the most that guy I've seen and I think he'll continue to be in a way that no one has for the rest of his career France had been so poor that the commentators at least on the BBC were attributing it to illness and then Mbappe arrived he is Pele reincarnated and thankfully Pele's not even gone yet he might play for France but he appears to be the successor to Pelé and Ronaldo, all in one. The most inevitable of footballers. And I suppose he's taken on Cristiano Ronaldo's mantle too, in that sense. It got to 2-2 with the silliest of finishes. In a moment where Mbappe could have taken a touch, but such is his confidence in his ability that he didn't. 2-2, now France were purring. Argentina rocked. It felt as if Mbappe's third would follow before full time. And if not at the start of extra time, at the very least. But then Argentina revived. They regained some control and then the tide swung again. A messy goal in nature and name followed. And you you felt sick in your stomach. I didn't even genuinely support either of these teams. I wanted Argentina to win, but the incredible quality of Mbappe means it, it, a France win couldn't have been anything but enjoyed. And yeah, well, he came back again. He'd faced up Emmy Martinez once. He'd beaten him twice. One of the best penalty stoppers in the tournament, maybe the best. Uh, a man who only just straddles the line between shithouse and cheat. But that did nothing to stop Mbappe. The hat-trick goal. And again, the tide swung. But again, when Argentina won the ropes, they came back. The most remarkable end to extra time in any match I've witnessed. Martinez denies the almost unknown Colomuani with one of the sport's great, great saves. 
uh, in added time of extra time at three all. And then in a flash, up at the other end, Lautaro Martinez heads wide. Mbappe and Messi up first in a shootout, uh, not taking Neymar's mistakes, both converting, both on the precipice of eternal footballing greatness. And then Emi Martinez again, and then it's Argentinas. Messi paraded around like the hero he is. Just the most perfect game of football you could ever hope for. It had, it had the lot. And it was a, an absolute privilege to watch. And one of the few games, I think, in my lifetime where I've watched and you know it's one of the great games as you're watching it. And I will talk about, relive, watch the highlights of that game, I think, for the rest of my life. And to have something more invested in it as as a love of Argentina, uh, but also the United link with with Lissandra Martinez. I'm absolutely delighted for him. That's for Rafa Varane. That'll be a, a painful one on the cusp of becoming one of the very few men to have won two World Cups. He gave it his all. I'm sure he'll need some time off before returning to club action or perhaps he'll come back to try and take his mind off it. But that being said, United support relentlessly charging. Argentina! might not help and you can bet that's the noise that will be coming out on Wednesday for the Carabao Cup game against Burnley especially if Alejandro Garnacho starts and gets on the ball I can't wait for it it's going to be a great buzz live football back United back I genuinely can't wait as for the World Cup overall it's been wonderful to watch all the while yes definitely with the associated guilt and the the disgust of those that use football in the way that they do not just the Qatari rulers and there's been plenty said about them, but those at the top of FIFA, perhaps even worse, Gianni Infantino desperately grasping onto Messi as he finally got to lift what, what he's worked his whole life for. Even Emmanuel Macron, the French president, relentlessly forcing his way into every moment with this French team. And it, 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 it annoys me because it's, it's those players and coaches and staff who work to get to the World Cup final, who deserve to take the plaudits for what they've achieved, who deserve their own time to face the fact of their eventual failure. They don't need Emmanuel Macron to intervene, to hug them three times on international television, grasping onto that moment in the spotlight and so on and so on. There's plenty more we could talk about, and, but also to the workers who died to make this World Cup happen. And not just them, but also the workers whose lives have been ruined and to their families through exploitation, discrimination and what they've had to endure. That stadium for the final was a, a remarkable sight, beautiful, fit to host the game of that spectacle, but bloodstained. And maybe the longer we get away from the absolute buzz and joy at watching that game and the rest of the tournament, maybe the more we'll think about that. Now, to United. As I said, it will be brilliant to be back at Old Trafford on Wednesday night and I'm sure many people are thinking the same. The capacity has had to be reduced due to nurses' strikes in England but fortunately there were enough voluntary cancellations that no one who wanted or desperately wanted to go has had their ticket cancelled and I'm sure for some season ticket holders as well uh, the, the option of voluntary cancellation was helpful to, to get a bit of extra cash around Christmas time so there's a silver lining there too at least. Uh, as for United... Um, it's it's been hard to kind of take your attention off the, at least for me I'm a, I'm I'm a lover of international football and of world cups I know some United fans and just generally some some fans of teams especially like United Liverpool and, and other other massive teams uh, don't quite have the same interest in international football as they do club football but uh, I found it hard to be distracted by by club football when the world cups on that being said 
you are obviously keeping an eye on it and I'm, I am buzzing for United to be back and Eric Ten Hag's had a long time to work with the players who have remained at the club either not picked for their national teams or from nations who didn't qualify David De Gea included Victor Lindelof Aaron Wan-Bissaka many others and some who have returned fairly early like Christian Eriksen or Facundo Palistri Jaden Sancho is another and a, a really fascinating case and one of the really interesting bits of this mid-season break. Ten Hag sent him to the Netherlands to work with coaches that he, uh, that Ten Hag knows well. It's not a, a punishment or an exile, but something Ten Hag thinks will will help Sancho regain his form and, and kick on at United. He started the season with, with a bit of something about him. Um, which made the drop-off in form an even greater shame. It looked like he was finding his feet and ready to progress back to the quality that we know he has. The goal against Liverpool, uh, the first goal in that that 2-1 win, and then against Leicester. But then it then it fell off starting in October, really. And since he, he fell well down the pecking order, his confidence was gone and he just wasn't running at people. He didn't look the same player at all. So if this works, brilliant. It's a, I think it's an absolute necessity for United. Sancho's the third most expensive English player of all time, £73 million. And at the time we thought that was a good deal. Hopefully we'll be proved right on that. And this is just a blip, but he was absolutely brilliant at Borussia Dortmund. We know how good he, he can be, but crucially United don't have huge amounts of money to spend going forward as recent financial results have shown. There's, there's a caveat of a possible takeover. Definitely. But, short term and long term we need Sancho to eventually perform and come good I am confident that will happen eventually he's 22 he's got the talent but yeah him and United need to need to get this back on track Ten Hag's put him on a an individual fitness program away from the rest of the squad I think that'll be helpful it's a it's also a bit it's, it's a bit of a mental break for him away from the squad away from the cameras social media from press conferences mix zones all of that so hopefully this works. We we simply won't know until he's back. He won't be playing against Burnley. He's not back. Who will be playing against Burnley? I imagine Ten Hag will take this fairly seriously. He's shown himself not to rotate huge amounts before throughout the Europa League group stages. That being said, it came back to bite him a little. United finished second, not first, and had injuries and tired legs after those games. So perhaps he will have changed. I think of the young players... We'll see Garnacho and Palistri involved in some regard. I think Garnacho will start. I think we'll see Kobe Minor on the bench at, at the very least. He's got plenty of attention on him at the moment. Um, and, and him attracting attention is no new thing. He scored against uh, Cadiz and then made a decent contribution as a sub against Real Batiste. He's, he's only 17, a midfielder from Stockport. United signed him from the, the Cheeto and Gatley club. He's still eligible for the FA Youth Cup, which is under 18s, let alone the Papa John's Trophy, which is an under 21s competition. But he played in neither of two really important ties in each competition during December. Uh, the Youth Cup against Crystal Palace and the Papa John's Trophy against Bolton. Eric Tenard kept him around the first team instead. And it seems clear by that that he's a way ahead of others his age and even those who are older than him. The goal against Cadiz was... Uh, was a good one. It was a real, I think if you haven't watched much of, of him, I think it would have been a real eye opener into what kind of player we're talking about here. The shot was fine. It needed a deflection to to go in, but it was the, the few touches before that I think showed all you need to know about him. The left foot touch on the spin, two pieces of close control with his right foot. Then that kind of punched forward uh, touch to create space and a left footed shot. It's the, the variety of touches there that impresses me and the speed at which he can kind of pull the ball in and, and poke it back out. 
but all the while he seems in complete control. It's it's a good example of what kind of play is about that that technical quality, uh, the control and the composure in tight spaces, the ability to see what's around him, and the, the yeah the balance to to be able to do all of that as well. It's like a the the ball on a string kind of quality. He's he's got a lot of work still to do, but he he's clearly a very talented player. I think I think that quality as well, and and the qualities he's shown in the youth teams and the first team have shown where he should be featuring in future and that's high up the pitch being plenty of comparisons to Paul Podburn Mainu might have a similar issue in English football of being given that freedom to really thrive further up the pitch it doesn't mean he has to be a number 10 uh, I don't think that is his his role I think he's, his role will be will be deeper but wherever he plays whatever midfield role he has going forward he'll need that freedom to, to be able to thrive further up the pitch uh, he's he's physically very good. That's why he's dominated at, at youth levels. He's dominated a little bit less at under 18 level when he was 15, 16 and under 21 level when he's 16, 17, but still showing his quality. And that's a really good challenge for him. Uh, he'll need to, because he's going to operate in all those tight spaces, he'll need to refine his strength and, and balance to cope with men's football, with senior football. Um, but he's he's progressing really well. He's, he's a well-grounded Kid speaks very well, takes things seriously, whatever that is to do with football, training, interviews, media training, education, whatever it is. He he seems like a someone who's been ready for the attention that he is getting and is going to get. It seems like he's been ready for that for a while. And I think that maturity shows on the pitch as well. He's he's not fast after a hard tackle and, and he's got consistency to his performances that is is a really positive thing and pretty rare for for a player of that age. He wasn't the only young player taken on the first team's Spain training camp, but Tenard gave him good minutes and and kept him there when others his age flew home early to play in the FA Youth Cup. Manu played against Real Batiste and after the squad came back, the first team squad that is, he stayed with the first team. He wasn't involved in the under-21s Papa John's Trophy game at Bolton. He trained with the first team that day instead. And then the next day was involved when they played Everton in a behind-closed-doors friendly the following day, which ended in a 1-1 draw. He could have a role to play against Burnley and maybe in the festive league fixtures too. I'm sure he'll be on the bench for the Burnley game and for a couple of the games after, whether he gets on in any of them or starts any of them. I'm not sure. I doubt he'll start, but I think Ganacho will. And it's been a great opportunity for Ganacho to work on things too. I'm hoping to see him come out of this break with the, the same confidence as before. Obviously, his, his kind of final kick before the World Cup and before football, the club football paused was was a goal, uh, a winning goal. I'm hoping to see him come out with that, that same confidence, but a bit quicker, a bit stronger, even sharper and with some new tools to his box as well. And Jack and I have spoken a bit before about the opportunity that David De Gea has had as well, a chance to get better with his feet and with his teammates. And I'm, I'm hoping to see that coming out of the break. And that's something I'll definitely be keeping an eye on as well. As for Burnley, they're a good team. Uh, top of the championship, Vincent Company's got them doing well. A 3-1 win from behind against Michael Carrick's Middlesbrough at the weekend. Top of the league, six points clear of second place Sheffield United. Although the Blades have a game in hand. Burnley have lost only once since the 12th of August and, and company will obviously be well up for this one. And so will Burnley and their fans as well. They, uh, they hate United, so it could be tricky. Either way, it'll be good fun having United back, no matter how weird it is so soon after the World Cup final. Let's take a quick break and then I'll be back with a detailed youth and women's roundup for those of you who want to hear it.
let's begin with the under-18s who will travel to Stoke City in the FA Youth Cup fourth round after defeating Crystal Palace 3-1 at a bitterly cold and foggy Selhurst Park uh, in mid-December. Travis Binion's side, who are the competition's current holders, you'll remember having beaten Nottingham Forest last season at Old Trafford, they established a comfortable two-goal lead within the first 12 minutes. Maxi Oyadeli who was one of three starters who had been involved with the first team's uh, training camp in Spain. Oyadeli scored the first, pouncing on a loose ball and finishing after Manny Norquette's excellent left-wing run and cutback. Tyler Fredrickson, uh, the defender who played all the way through the East Cup last season, but then was ill on the day of the final and, and uh, missed out, which was a great shame. And captain Dan Gore had also come back from Spain early to play. Dan Gore, a midfielder and a, a very talented one at that as well. Goalkeeper Eli Harrison, who's 16 United signed from Stevenage in the summer, was welcomed to Carrington by John Murtagh. He made a brilliant save with his feet uh, just a few minutes after Oyedeli's opener and then launched the counter-attack. Sonny Algefria defender with a, a perfectly weighted long ball forward. That was received gratefully by Manny Norquette, who showed great strength and control to hold off his man before a, a clinical low finish past Jackson Izquierdo in the Crystal Palace goal, who made a string of excellent saves before half-time, as did Eli Harrison. And after half-time... Palace captain Freddie Bell spun past James Nolan to create space on the right side of the box and then finished past Harrison from a tight angle with a powerful strike. Really good goal. The game was on then. Uh, Palace hit the bar, gained momentum, forced another couple of good saves from Eli Harrison, but United made a couple of subs. Jack Morehouse came on, Ethan Wheatley came on and things calmed down a little bit. And then both subs were involved in the build-up for United's third goal, the result-sealing goal. Morehouse directing Wheatley's pass onto Sam Mather, who cut inside onto his right foot before a postage stamp, top right corner finish. Really good goal to wrap things up. It's It was an assured performance, a comfortable result against a good Crystal Palace team. And it's it's particularly impressive, that result, given the side hadn't played in almost a month. The league match the previous weekend at home to Leeds United had been postponed after uh, logistical difficulties. United have had some trouble with ambulance staff at a few youth games all throughout the last 18 months. But regardless, and regardless of uh, several players coming back late and, and like key players like Kobe Miner not being involved, it, it was a really good performance. United played like the holders of the competition. They just looked comfortable, looked confident, looked really looked like they believed in themselves and, and it showed. And the league coach, Travis Binion, spoke about that afterwards, about how winning it last season, how having the experience of playing in front of nearly 70,000 people at Old Trafford is has had an, an evident impact on the belief of, of this team, as well as the experience of, of training with the first team in Spain and at Carrington. And it's worth noting that's the it's worth noting the legacy of last year's FA Youth Cup win. Alejandro Garnacho now firmly a first team squad member. Charlie McNeil made his debut in September against Real Sociedad. Fredrickson's been on the bench, Kobe Minor's been on the bench. Um so that legacy is, is clear to see and pretty much the whole Youth Cup winning team were in Spain with the first team. Uh, to wrap up on the under-18s, since they beat Crystal Palace in the Youth Cup, they won at home 3-0 against Middlesbrough. Um, Manny Norquette's good form continuing. He's been good this season, playing out of the, the shadow of Charlotte McNeil. Uh, goal and assist in this one. And as well as an own goal, the other strike came from Jack Morehouse, who's also having a good first proper season in the under-18s. Up an age group, 
United reached the Papa John's last 16 for the first time. This was their fourth campaign in the competition. They topped the group with two wins and a draw, wins against Carlisle and Barrow and a draw against Fleetwood Town, then drew against Wolves in the first knockout round, but won on penalties after that 0-0 stalemate. But in this last 16, were well beaten by Bolton Wanderers 4-0. It was a step too far, and I think that was pretty clear, pretty much from the off. Um, Bolton dominated and had loads and loads of chance uh, in the first half, but seemed to miss them all. I think it was 14 shots in the first half and two on target. It was really poor. Nathan Bishop did make one good save. Um, the coach Travis Binning told his players after that they should use it as a, a litmus test to see whether they're ready for men's football, ready for a loan move to League One or Two. Some showed that they might be. Others showed that they're they're not yet. Um, Zidane Iqbal showed some some quality on the ball. Shulashuratari always has something about him. He's a Cantonar and fluffed his one good shooting opportunity, but continued to show his talent. He's he's a good player, quiet individual. Took a while to settle in at United. It was really difficult arriving during COVID and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer helped him out a bit when he was manager, but it was tough and he's played really well this season and I'm hoping has settled down a bit more. Um, it was a brilliant atmosphere at Bolton. It was, it, I cannot emphasise enough how cold it was. Um, when we left, when the car pulled out of the car park at the University of Bolton Stadium, the, the car's temperature read minus three degrees Celsius. It was a uh, very, very cold. Um, but... Despite that, and despite the fact it was the night of the World Cup semi-final between Argentina and Croatia and that that was on free-to-air television, 1,600, 1,600 United fans turned up and made great noise. It was it was brilliant. And the coaches and the players were buzzing with it despite the result. It, it was somehow a really good night despite, despite that disappointing result. And to be honest, this wouldn't have happened not during the World Cup time because it felt like fans who came had been starved of United of life football of relentlessly raucously singing 12 Cantonars all throughout the build up to Christmas 12 Cantonars did get a bit of an airing in early November which was uh, slightly immoral I joined in a, a couple of times because it's it's just the great chant of, of United support but I think this was this was the first real allowed permitted airing of 12 Cantonars and it, it was really loud it kind of rung about in this otherwise pretty much empty Bolton Stadium freezing of snow outside double socks didn't even cut it it was it was very cold um and uh, and a good a good kind of occasion this was a, a mini revival of a local derby uh bolton is just 12 miles outside of manchester it's a proud city and a, a very proud football club but both the city and the football club are kind of overshadowed by manchester and manchester united and the success of united throughout the 90s and 2000s meant many kids from bolton support Man United support them as it would be the the much despised global successful super club down the road. So it was a chance for Bolton to enjoy a victory of United. As for United fans in the away end, it was a chance to bring out some old favourites songs poking fun at Bolton Wanderers that have been unaired since they were relegated from the Premier League uh, just a decade ago. 
Yeah. So it was a, a, the turnout was something a bit special and it, and it does genuinely have a, an impact on the players. There was one great moment in particular that stood out for me when Bjorn Hardley, the defender, crunched into, successfully crunched into a challenge on the left wing and he was just kind of 20, 25 metres away from the United away end and this thunderous roar of United followed in recognition and it, it kind of echoed around the the empty upper tiers of the ground. It was brilliant and you could see the kind of buzz the players got from that. So that was good. The result was bad. United out of the Papa John's at the last 16 stage, but uh, they'll be pleased with getting there for the first time in their fourth campaign in the competition. As for United women, their most recent match was a 4-0 win over Sheffield United in the Continental Cup. It was a it was a really good chance for manager Mark Skinner to rotate because the game was a dead rubber. Despite a good 4-2 win over Everton in equally freezing conditions as those endured for the under-21s at Bolton, uh, United women had gone out of the groups in the previous game, that game against Everton, because of results elsewhere. But both matches, both results were good wins. Um, and in the latter, Adriana Leon the exciting Canadian summer signing who hasn't played much and fans have been wondering where she is. Well, uh, she she showed where she is. She scored twice against Sheffield United. Martha Thomas scored one uh, with the other being an own goal. But the big story the past couple of weeks for United women was an away draw at Manchester City in the Women's Super League. Earlier in the season, you might recall this team had finally managed the first ever victory in the league over a top three rival. That was Arsenal at the Emirates. They had lost to Chelsea a couple of weeks before that. It was a a really big moment. And then they then hoped to beat City, who have declined significantly this season, to to really show how much progress they've made. But it wasn't to be, despite being the better side at the Etihad, where about 40,000 fans were watching. Leah Goulton put United in front, but Laura Coombs equalised in the second half and that made it level from the 58-minute mark up until the final whistle. Manager Mark Skinner spoke of how disappointed the team were, but said that this was a demonstration of just how far they've come. Um, And WSL women's football journalists are pretty much in agreement about this, that United's mentality is completely and evidently changed this season. They, They feel and look like a top three side, like title challengers. The team now goes into their winter break. They sit third in the league on 22 points, two points behind Arsenal, who are on 24, and five points behind leaders Chelsea, but they have a game in hand on Chelsea. They don't have a game in hand on Arsenal. They're trailing by two points despite beating them. The title would need an epic, almost perfect second half of the season, but it's not out of the question. And United really should finish in the top three from here. They're only three points above City, but with the form they've showed and the quality, they, they have to finish in the top three for the first time. Uh, I think anything else will will definitely and rightly be seen as a failure. That's it from me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. We'll be back to normal with Jack soon and I'll be back after Wednesday's game against Burnley with some reaction from Old Trafford. I can't wait to be back in the Stretford end. I know there'll be many others feeling the same and it's only Burnley, it's only the Carabao Cup. I hope you've all enjoyed the World Cup had a good couple of weeks and I'll speak to you very soon. Goodbye for now. Network.